Well, we are, uh, this is part two of a mini-series, a three-week mini-series that we're uh, kind of using to end off our longer series on the book of Ephesians. And, uh, and so last week we started into this, uh, looking at um, spiritual warfare, armed and dangerous. We are in a spiritual war. We're in a battle. It's already won, but we're still fighting it, right? And, uh, and the reality is, we said last week, one of the key phrases, one of the key takeaways from last week is we need to keep our attention on Jesus and be aware of the enemy, right? Not the other way around. We don't want our attention on the enemy. We want our attention on Jesus, but we need to be aware of the enemy that is around us and, and wanting, to, uh, wanting to destroy us. Um, last week, we also emphasized that the Scripture that we read tells us, we're going to see that again when we read it in a moment, but uh, tells us to stand firm in verses 10 to 14 in Ephesians 6. Four times it tells us um, it says, take your stand, stand your ground, stand, stand firm. So four times it tells us to stand. Uh, and this is not the only Scripture in the Bible that talks about standing firm and watching the victory of the Lord. The battle is His. We get to partner with Him. We get to participate with Him. And we do so most often by standing firm and trusting Him. Right? And, uh, and so last week we, we saw one, one little example about a guy named Shammah that stood his ground in a bean field. You'll have to go back and check out that message if you missed it. Um, but uh, there are a number of... Mo Moses was told. He's pinned, he and the Israelites are pinned between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. And Moses says to the people, stand firm and see the deliverance of your God. He's in an, in an impossible situation with the enemy bearing down on him, but he says, stand firm. You're going to see the victory of the Lord. Um, at prayer meeting this week, we read a portion... Uh, from the story of King Jehoshaphat hundreds of years after Moses, who again was facing a, a massive army in an impossible situation. But a prophetic word comes to King Jehoshaphat and says, stand firm and see the deliverance of your God. It's a principle all through Scripture. The kingdom of God is never in retreat. When we trust God in the midst of our darkest moments, we can trust that He will bring us through to victory. It may not always be the victory we pictured. It may not always be the victory we wanted, but it will be good and it will be victorious. And so, in our passage in uh, we're gonna we're gonna read it now in in uh, Ephesians chapter six. 
<clears throat> we're told to put on the full armor of God. Um, today's passage starts at verse 13, which is up there, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us back to verse 10 again and just read the whole context of this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He is a schemer, isn't he? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then our verse for today. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after having done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Next week, we're going to go into the next verses that talk about about prayer, um, which is a whole other aspect of, uh, of spiritual warfare. Today we're going to dive into the armor. And it says here twice, two times, verse 10 and verse 13, to put on the full armor of God. And we said last week that that's a reference to the fact that, that in the Roman army that was Paul's context that's what it's the metaphor he's using to talk about spiritual warfare in the Roman army there were the auxiliary forces kind of the reserves the light infantry that were they didn't have a lot of armor on they didn't have a lot of weapons they they just carried a bow they were kind of expendable uh, forces, but they were they were the light auxiliary, and then they had the 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 legionnaires legionaries that that wore full armor. And Paul was saying, "Don't be a lightweight. Don't be a weekend warrior. Be a full time warrior. Right? Be a legionary. Be fully equipped." For the battle that we're in. And Paul says here, when, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand. When the day of evil comes. Now, I think there may be a kind of an end times reference going on here. There, there is a day of evil coming. But... I don't think that's the only thing that Paul is talking about here because um, he was trying to equip Christians back then that were at least 2,000 years away from the return of Christ, right? I, I think all of us face a day of evil. We face major conflicts in our lives. We face major challenges in our lives. 
And if we go in, if we wait until the major challenge comes to start being equipped, we've waited too late. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, you want to get equipped now because you will face, all of us, you will face a day of evil. You will face a major challenge. You will face a moment when the enemy is pressing in against you and you don't want to wait till then to get equipped. You want to get prepared. You want to get suited up. You want to get ready now so that when the day of evil comes, you can take your stand. You're not playing catch-up. You're not playing, you know, let's, let's train now, but, but you're ready. All right, so we dive into the armor. Are you ready? Let's go. Belt of truth. The first piece of armor that we come across in Paul's description is the belt of truth. We may not think of a belt as the first thing that comes to mind as a piece of military equipment. You ever, you ever think that's kind of weird? That's the first one that, that, you know, a belt. Well, a belt holds my pants up. That's pretty good. Right? But if you look, Roman soldiers didn't even wear pants, so that's not what Paul was talking about. But the belt for the Roman soldier would hold together their, their armor, their tunic. It would hold everything together so that um, they, were, they, were, uh, they could move quickly and nimbly. They were mobile. Um, they were ready for battle. They were ready to move. Um, and uh, you'll notice... The, uh, you know, the, 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 belt, uh, the belt of truth, truth holds everything together for us. Truth holds God's truth in my life, holds my life together. Holds me together. Holds my world together. God's truth is what holds us together. His truth is what makes us nimble and strong. And uh, Jesus, the night, the night before He went to the cross, He spoke to His disciples and He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. Jesus didn't just speak the truth. He didn't just teach the truth. Jesus is the truth made flesh. Truth is a person and His name is Jesus. And a few hours later, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. He's already been through um, uh, a, a 
kind of a mock trial before the, the religious leaders, and they brought him to, to Pontius Pilate, and they demanded that Pontius Pilate condemn him and crucify him. And in this conversation, Jesus says, <clears throat> in uh, John 18, John chapter 18, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world The reason I came into the world was to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate sarcastically says, what is truth? This is the point of contact and conflict with Pilate and Jesus and continues to be the intersection of contact and conflict between the system of this world and the kingdom of God today. The world says, what is truth? Don't tell me what is true. Don't draw the line in the sand, because then I'm responsible to choose. Today's philosophers say that there is no such thing as absolute truth. The strange thing is, that's an absolute truth statement. It's a fallacy for them to say there is no such thing as absolute truth. And it, and it highlights the foolishness of the statement itself. Right? There is an immovable truth and His name is Jesus. And in opposition to Jesus the truth, Jesus spoke about the father of lies, the enemy. In John chapter 8, Jesus said that, the, that Satan is, says he was a murderer from the beginning and he is a liar and the father of lies because he cannot speak anything but lies. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, truth is a major, major theme. 25 times in 21 chapters of John, we find the word truth. It's huge in the Gospel of John. And we're going to just touch down on three of them momentarily. Jesus, in John 1 verse 14, Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus came as truth in, in the flesh. He came to show us what God is like. The truth about God. In, in chapter 3, verse 21, it says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. 
So the first verse spoke of the truth about God. This verse speaks about the truth about me. We don't always want to face the truth about me, do we? Well, and you too. But the truth, we don't want to always face the truth about who we are. But the reality is, with all of our attempts to hide the truth about me, um, God's God sees it anyways. Why, why try to hide it? Come into the light. Verse, John 8, verse 32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So when we know the truth about who God is, and we know the truth about who I am, then I can bring who I am into the presence of God, and God can set me free. And He can give me a new truth about who I am. Isn't that powerful? So this belt of truth, the soldier's belt also had a number of things attached to it. Um, it had the scabbard for the sword. It had a dagger. Probably a flask of, of water. A little bundle of foods. A money pouch. That it had some things attached to it. Think of it like a, a construction worker's, you know, utility belt, or even better, Batman's utility belt. Right? It had some all the tools you need, right? And when a soldier put it on, the belt was the last thing they put on because when they put the belt on, they're now ready for battle. And Paul's saying, put on the belt of truth. Get ready for battle. Are you ready? Right? Are you ready to engage? Belt of truth. Sorry, I wasn't keeping up here. Ready for battle. Secondly, Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate of righteousness. The Roman breastplate, there were, there were a few different kinds of breastplates that the Roman soldiers wore, but the most popular, the most common one in the time when Paul was writing this is the kind that you see up there. It's called the lorica segmentata, and it was made of these pieces of metal that were bound together. It was... It was uh, Excellent Roman technology that would protect their soldiers but be lightweight. And, uh, uh, and the, the breastplate, of course, protected their, their, their heart and their vital organs, protected their abdom abdominal cavity uh, from attacks of the enemy. And uh, this breastplate of righteousness that Paul is talking about for, for our sake today, we're going to say it protects our hearts. Right? Protects our hearts. But what, what do we mean by righteousness? Um, this word righteousness is kind of a, a, a religious word, a theological sounding word. But really it means 
rightness. It means things as they should be. And so, um, you know, if something has been tested as to its integrity, is it as strong as it's supposed to be? Or if something's been measured and it's precisely the right length or the right, you know, if it's level or if it's, if it's straight, you know, we, if we're building a house, we want to we want to build it straight, right? How many, how many have been in an old house and tried to, tried to do renovations in an old house and find it's, it's pretty tough to do when things aren't straight, right? And, and when we build, we want things to be level and straight so that, so that they work. And when we're talking about righteousness in our lives, we're talking about justice. We're talking about the things that that get all twisted inside of us because of our own sin being straightened out and made right. We're talking about integrity from the outside to the inside. That what I say, I believe, what I say is important to me, actually in my innermost being is what I believe and live and is important to me. Right? So... <clears throat> The Bible tells us in Romans 14, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That means when Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God, He came to deal with injustice. He came to deal with the things that are twisted in the hearts of humans. He came to heal the things that were sick and dying. He came to make right what was wrong and make straight what was crooked. Righteousness. The Bible actually says that as humans, without God, without Christ, as humans, all of our attempts at righteousness to try and straighten ourselves out to try and make ourselves righteous and just and good to to make ourselves level and balanced and healthy are like filthy rags to god any attempts at righteousness of our own fall far, far short. But the Bible says that Jesus came to bring a righteousness that was from God apart from our effort. That Jesus came to make us righteous when we trust in Him. That's the good news, folks. The good news of the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. That Jesus came to make us righteous as we trust in Him. The reality is we, we don't... The righteousness that is a gift needs to work its way into our hearts so that we don't just have a borrowed righteousness, but we are transformed by righteousness. 
that we don't that we start to actually live out the rightness that God has put inside of us so that so that it's not a righteousness of our works it's a righteousness of Jesus working through us and that's so different it's the it's the truth getting inside of us David wrote in Psalm 51, verse 6, in his great repentance hymn, he says, But you, God, desire truth in the inner parts of me. David came to realize that that righteousness hadn't transformed every part of his heart. That he needed to repent and he needed to let righteousness get into some places inside of him. In his innermost being, so that righteousness could come out. I'm not doing a good job keeping up with my PowerPoint today, sorry. So, righteousness is a gift, then it's a practice, not the other way around. Does that make sense? All right. Next, our gospel shoes. Proper footwear matters. How many would, try, would like to try and run a 5K race in flip-flops? Okay, well, let's pretend that you'd actually run a 5K race, right? And then ask the question, would you like to run it in flip-flops? Probably not right or or go into a construction work site with sandals on right terrible idea we are told in world war 1 80,000 allied soldiers died of trench foot 80,000 soldiers died because they had inadequate footwear might not think it's a big deal to have the proper footwear but it is it's a huge deal the roman soldiers were equipped with uh with uh with excellent the 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 latest technology in footwear they wore uh they wore shoes called Kaliga, and uh, they were heavy-duty leather boots with steel cleats for traction. Um, Roman soldiers marched hundreds of kilometers sometimes, and they needed excellent footwear, and they got excellent footwear. Um, Isaiah 52, verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the gospel, who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Salvation. 
who say to Zion, your God reigns. The Gospel is truth proclaimed. Right? The Gospel is the truth and the hope of God proclaimed. When, when a, a company of soldiers in the Roman army would march across the, the empire and go to some far-flung place like, like Britain or the Middle East, they would go bringing um, the culture of Rome and establishing the culture of Rome. They'd go in, they would conquer a territory, and they would bring the quote-unquote good news about the empire. They would establish an outpost and Roman culture would take root. They would bring what, they, what was called in the time Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Folks, we have a gospel of peace that is far greater than any military might, that is far greater than any culture on this earth. We have a gospel of peace that Jesus has sent us to bring. And wherever we go, we are called to establish little outposts of the kingdom of God. And we are sent with the readiness of the gospel of peace. But we are only the gospel we're only ready with the Gospel if we are living the Gospel. If the good news of Jesus is for you just a Sunday thing, if it's just some small component, side component of your life, then you will not be ready with the Gospel, the good news of peace. But if it's everything to you, if it's what, what you wake up to in the morning and what you live throughout the day and what's on your mind as you drift off to sleep at night, if the good news of Jesus is everything to us, if it's what we live for, then it will spill out of our mouth, folks. We will be ready with the good news, with the Gospel. Roman soldiers... Sorry, Roman soldiers ah, were uh, were given three three pairs of caliga a year. Three pairs of boots a year. That's pretty good. No workplace does that, right? But they did a lot of walking, and they needed them. They were given three boot sets of boots a year. Um. So that, so that their boots never wore out. They were always fresh. And I think that tells us, folks, the Gospel needs to be fresh in our hearts. It needs to be fresh in our hearts. We, I want, we did a year and a half ago, we did, a, did a, um, an evangelism training thing, video thing downstairs. And, and uh, one of the things that he said that stand out to me is, we should tell ourselves the gospel every day. 
should be telling ourselves the gospel every day. It, it, we, it shouldn't be difficult to figure out how to tell someone else the gospel if we're telling ourselves the gospel every day. All right. Shield of faith. You guys doing all right? All right. This is a lot of stuff today. We're pushing through it, but it's good. Shield of faith. Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you will quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Take up the shield of faith. We have to choose faith. We have to choose faith. The enemy is firing his fiery darts, his poisonous arrows of fear and intimidation, his poisonous arrows of lies at us all the time. All the time. And we regularly have to choose. I would say moment by moment, we have to choose whether whether we will give in to fear or we will pick up the shield of faith. Whether we will trust God or we will trust the things that are coming at us, the lies, the garbage that's coming at us. We have to daily, regularly, take up the shield of faith. Is God good in this situation or is He not? It's always good. Can I trust Him or can't I? I can always trust Him. Are His promises true? Or is what I'm feeling and seeing right now true? We have to make a choice every day to take up the shield of faith and trust the promises of God more than what we see with our eyes or feel in our hearts in this moment right now. Take up the shield of faith. Choose to take it up. Faith is trusting in the promises of God more than your feelings or your observations. What is true as opposed to what seems true. Right? Um, interesting little side tidbit. There are two words in Greek, that the language that the New Testament was written in. There are two words for shield because there are two different kinds of shields. Um, ap aspis was a round, small shield that was used for hand-to-hand -hand combat and just for warding off uh, sword blows and that kind of thing. Or thuraos, which is the rectangular shield that we see our soldier here holding. Why does that matter? Well, first of all, the rectangular larger shield this is the one through us. This is the one that's in our passage. And it's a shield that gives full body coverage, full protection, right? So our faith is a mighty faith that, that, that is powerful to protect our whole being. But here's, here's another cool thing it was used for the tortoise formation. Seen this before, right? Or Roman shield wall, it was called. And when a troop would pull together and put their shields together and stand together 
with no gaps and no, you know, in complete unity, they were an impenetrable force. Folks, when we come together in unity, we join my faith with your faith, with their faith, we stand together, we can be an impenetrable force against the enemy. And the purpose of this tortoise formation, this Roman shield wall, was not just defense, but it was to be able to move forward into, to, into the enemy without being stopped. It was how the Roman army became an unstoppable force advancing into the enemy. Folks, our faith is not just for defense. It is for advancement. Amen? The helmet of salvation. Of course, the helmet protected the head. It was a highly developed piece of technology. When I used to work in construction... Years ago, we, of course, always had to have our hard hat on. We called it our brain bucket, right? So it protected our head, protected our mind, our brain from being, you know, a two by ten dropping on it and smashing our brain. Um, and, and, uh, and so this is about the mind. It's about the brain. Um, that the battle begins right here for us. The battle is won or lost right here in how we think and what we think, but how we think. We are people of the kingdom of God and we need to have renewed minds that think kingdom thoughts. Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to think like kingdom people. We need our minds regularly renewed because we will gravitate to thinking like the world very quickly. It's all around us. It saturates our media. It saturates everything. And we will get pulled in if we are not careful to keep our minds renewed. 1 Peter 2, verse 11 Peter writes and says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as people who don't belong here, we are from another kingdom, another culture. I remember when I was in Ukraine showing pictures. Some of the students I was teaching wanted to see pictures of my house. So I showed them a picture of my house and they, they gasped. He said, where's your fence? Where's your wall? Because every Ukrainian house has a wall around their property. It's just how they live. That's the, how they've learned to feel safe. 
is they have a wall around their property. They couldn't imagine. They would feel so vulnerable and, and in danger to not have a wall around their house. It was a cultural thing. They thought about their home differently than I thought about my home. And folks, we, we are from a different culture than the culture that we live in. We should think about things differently than the culture around us. So Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that war, wage war against your soul. If we don't intentionally guard our minds to think values of the kingdom, we will be vulnerable to any thoughts from the culture around us. And if we lose our differentness, if we lose our saltiness, what it is that makes us a change agent in our culture, if we become like the culture, we have nothing to offer. And lastly, this morning, the sword of the Spirit. We've just about made it. Thank you for your patience. Sword of the Spirit. The Roman sword was an 18 to 20 inch blade sword. It was primary. It was the the, the soldier's primary um, weapon of offense, weapon of attacking. It was used primarily to thrust. A little bit about the Roman sword. But for us, the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God is our weapon of offense. It is what we use to bring about victory. The enemy will try to twist the Word of God. He will try to lie in opposition to the Word of God. But it is God's Word that is our weapon of offense and it will bring about our victory we need to trust it we need to believe it we need to get it down inside of us we need to know it we need to live it we need to pray it we need to use it it does very little good collecting dust on a shelf or a table we need to get it inside of us. We need to learn how to, how to live it, pray it, and use it. Jesus went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil himself. In his time in the desert during his 40 days of fasting, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil himself. And, and the, the enemy came three times with twisted lies. If you are the Son of God, turn this rock into bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from the top of the, the, the temple and angels will, will catch you. If you are the Son of God, 
Look at all these cities of the world. I will give them to you. You don't have to go through the cross. You don't have to do the things that... You don't have to do any of that. Just bow down to me and worship me, and I'll give it all to you. Right? And each time Jesus came back with accurately quoted, skillfully used Word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, worship the Lord and serve Him only. And He put the devil to flight with the Word of God. Let's stand. It's a lot of stuff today. A lot of good stuff. A lot of equipping stuff. But it's more than just an interesting picture or metaphor. Paul wants us to be equipped. Paul knows that God, as we said last week, doesn't just want to make us safe. He wants to make us dangerous. He wants us to walk in victory. So I want to ask us here today and those who are watching online, first and most important question, do you know Jesus, the truth of God? Do you know the One who is the truth? And if you don't yet know Him, what are your next steps to investigate the claims of the Bible? I want to invite you, if you don't yet know this Jesus that we're talking about today, this Jesus that has won our victory, this Jesus who is the truth and wants our lives to be set free by the truth, then I want to invite you to investigate what the Bible says about who He is. And if you know Jesus, does He have your allegiance every day? Is this, is this a weekend warrior thing for you? Or is this an everyday center of your life thing? And what, what might you need to surrender to Him today for it to become center of your life thing today? I want to pray. God, we, we love You. We thank You. We worship You. We thank You that You are our victory. That You are our hope. That You have given us everything we need to be victorious in this daily battle, daily struggle that we face. To renew our minds. To transform our hearts. To know Your peace and be able to speak it out to others. To have confidence in Your promises. To know Your Word and to, to use it in our daily lives to bring 
victory and hope. God, we lean into you right now, and I pray that you would take this beyond the metaphor and that you would equip us, every one of us, to be mighty in you. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So we give you thanks today, Lord. God, if there are those who don't yet know you as their Savior and Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them today. Draw them to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad you could join with us for church this morning. We encourage you that if you desire prayer,